2: Have you ever found yourself wondering what happens in the minds of some of the UK's most prominent and disturbing child killers? Kids Who Kill, Evil Up Close provides an all-encompassing view of these shocking murderers, through the eyes of those who loved, trusted and knew these killers best, including contributions from leading experts. As we deconstruct the events leading up to and after each killing, we gain fascinating insights on each case. The 5-part series features the cases of Aaron Campbell, Kim Edwards, Lucas Markham, Stephen Hoff, Matthew Hardman and Alyssa Bustamante. In this episode of Inside Crime Investigation, we're joined by the brilliant Emma Kenny to talk about the psychology of child killers, whether they should ever be released, and what aspects of modern society may have influenced their decisions to commit such heinous crimes.
3: The Aaron Campbell one seems to be an incredibly shocking case. Can you just tell me about that, please?
1: Oh, I mean, the Aaron Campbell will stick out for most people in the last, you know, 20 years, really, because it was such a calculated crime. I think that Aaron is one of those very rare humans that is the type of person that would keep you up at night as a parent, because to all intents and purposes, there was control in his life. You know, he hadn't had it completely straightforward. But he was quite charming. He wasn't completely unpopular. He did seem to have a social network. He did have a supportive parent. So there are all these kind of key contributors that make you think, well, this would just be a child who would grow up and kind of get on with the rest of their lives. Yes, involved in some subculture behaviour, but not completely unusual or untypical of teenagers. And yet actually bubbling beneath the surface was a really sexually sadistic killer, a child killer.
3: Yeah, exactly, because you're saying at the court case as well, he he unnecessarily went through the court case. Had he just um, admitted to the crime, he would have saved Alicia's family going through all that trauma.
1: But I think that that's one of the things that a really typical, compassionate, well-balanced person would always view it to be. You look at it with your vision and most of our viewers on CI, the same vision, that sense of how could anybody want to perpetuate even more harm. But actually, if you're somebody who firstly enjoys your work, and definitely Aaron enjoyed what he did, secondly, gets a stage, so an opportunity to control people, to validate themselves within the actual cycle of being you know, somebody who's seen in the media, and to some degree Cause further pain. Well, if that's your mindset and that comes from a reference of your emotional cogency or lack of it, one understands that you could see that that would be a reasoning for him to actually go ahead and try to put them into those painful situations. And I think, on top of that, the problem with anybody who's got narcissistic or psychopathic kind of traits is they're arrogant you know, they're not really concerned about the way that people are meant to play by the rules, and they're certainly not concerned about the impact that they have on other people's feelings, because they don't necessarily have a spectrum of the feelings that everybody else identifies with. But what you could say is that what they do enjoy is being the centre of attention and feeling superior. So he was caught, which meant that therefore he didn't get to carry on any cycle that he might wish to, but he could certainly draw out to his benefit as much attention as possible and a superiority complex that is definitely there.
3: Yeah, because I remember at one point in this program, you say how actually he almost knew he was going to get away with it. So he almost had to make the most of it. He knew
1: he knew this. Yes, yes, yeah. He wasn't sophisticated. You know, he was not a sophisticated killer. Um, And actually, one of the things that you see a great deal is that very few people are. um, particularly these days where you have such incredible detective work and, you know, even if you are sophisticated, you're going to be in a problem area because of forensics and the development of that. So he probably had an understanding that it was a time frame, a time limit, but he wanted to make the most of it. That's what is really hard for anybody to connect with because there are very rare people you know, adults kill adults and that's heinous, it's horrendous, full stop. But there is usually some kind of morality around even killing the darling, and that tends to be, you know, that you wouldn't harm children or that you wouldn't harm animals even. You know, they tend to be the two areas where we see vulnerability, innocence, and complete right to life. So when somebody can kind of cross the bridge and show an absolute disrespect and traumatise and terrorise and torture a child, that's something that even a hardened murderer would struggle to conceptualise. And that's just how far outside the normal paradigm of behaviour that is.
3: This show is Kids Who Kill, so these are very young people. Aaron Campbell could potentially be out 24 years, he'd be in his mid-50s. Do you think there's, a, there's an argument for maybe saying he shouldn't be released?
1: It's an interesting question to pose about should he be released, because if I were to look at other people who were involved in the series, I think that hopefully they would get released, if that makes sense. And certainly we have evidence when you look at the Border Killers, where one is thriving and one is not thriving and is still considered danger, that it can be that you can get children through a process, grow them, educate them with them and understanding compassionately about who they are, what they've done, and help form an identity with society in a pro-social way, so when they go out, they can actually become citizens who do good. But I think something like Campbell is one of those who's probably going to be very hard to rehabilitate, because it was the calculation and the enjoyment It wasn't that he had a particular vision regarding, let's say, killing a parent because he felt that that parent was abandoning them, even though that's completely reprehensible. You know, you almost see a trajectory of potential when it's something so unrelated to him and based on his particular sexual predilection. One of the bigger questions that we have to ask ourselves is how do they shift? You know, you're not talking about murder and, you know, unfortunately, people get murdered regularly as we know but usually the reasoning behind it you can almost see the trajectory when it's an innocent child when you've got a sexual predator who has a predilection for very young girls that won't go i mean it's highly unlikely that you could ever resolve that you can make people less able to offend in that way or you can make them have a conscience so even though they have a predilection they still don't act on it but they're the ones at the very beginning of the spectrum so he's already going to be a huge problem on release regarding his predilection for little girls. And not only has he a predilection for little girls, he has a predilection for sadistic killing that's almost incompatible with being alive and well in society and free. So we'll see whether he ever gets out. Like you say, you know, there have been other cases in the past where I'm quite aware that young people who have sadistically killed are out. So it does happen. I guess that's going to be one for the parole boards and one for the licensing if he does get to come out. He's already appealed his sentence, hasn't he, and had it reduced, which yet again, in my opinion, shows acute arrogance and a complete lack of conscience regarding the impact of what he did.
3: And what made Karen Campbell so sort of chilling was outwardly he seemed such a unlikely culprit. Is there a way of spotting a child who harbours these sort of psychopathic, sexually violent traits?
1: I mean, if only there were, because that's one of the big problems, isn't it? That we kind of have this painted picture in our brains about how a killer looks or how a killer acts, and there are some tiny evidence-based situations where you could go well actually yes their behavior at a b and c did show really really strange and you know should have been alarming and certainly in some of the school shooter histories we can see where that's been the case but very much for him he just seemed like you know you're ordinary run-of-the-mill lads normal teen, like smoking a bit of weed hanging out with people sometimes that maybe he shouldn't have but that's pretty normal and standard for lots of young people and doesn't mean anything in like that. They'll go on to live very healthy, happy, well-adjusted lives. I think that he's an example of why we will never be able to absolutely identify the type of predators that lie within our midst, in our communities. I guess the bigger question is what kind of behaviours was he exhibiting beforehand, what could have been interjected in his process so that that conduct disorder that potentially he was dealing with was manifested and managed in a way that meant that he became less harmful. I do think that it won't be that his life is straightforward. I do think that when you look at the research, um, although I tend to work more with victimology, which are the people who unfortunately meet these kind of individuals, you can kind of look at lives and see disruption and abandonment, attachment issues being you know something that's quite predominant in people who go into these kind of actions. You can see that there are issues with nurture as much as there are with nature but arguably it's one of those things that is usually a hindsight exercise as opposed to a you know prevention exercise, sadly.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting around nature and nurture because they do touch on video games and he's playing Slender Man, but I think the one of them... Oh, of them yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, uh, you know, if it were... Now, I am the first person, I think my understanding of... Gaming has evolved as I've grown with gaming, if that makes sense. Let's say you have the dark triad traits. You have Machiavellian um, traits, you have um, psychopathy, and you have narcissism. Let's say they're your traits and you have that dark triad. Then you are definitely going to look for things that you enjoy. And that's going to be horrible things to view online. It's going to be games that are super violent. It's going to be porn that's really, really aggressive and hostile and involving a lot of masochism and sadism. That's going to be the thing that you seek out. So you'll always find... That people who go murder people horribly and torture them terribly they're gonna have in their history games that are really uber violent and also porn that's really really distasteful and that's because that exists and it's what they like seeing but most people would watch it and maybe affect their sexual behavior a little bit but not terribly and definitely go and help their neighbor in a crisis so we can't say that kind of games that that linked them to violent behaviour. And it would be an awful injustice to do so because some of the most peaceful human beings play very violent games, so it just doesn't kind of tally.
3: But moving away slightly away from Campbell, um, his obviously was an opportunistic crime, and yes. had he not gone round to um, Alicia McVale's father's house, then he may not have killed her. What about murderers like Markham?
1: Yeah, I think Edwards and Markham, again, is a foliager. You know, it's the whole sense of two people in a certain circumstance connecting with each other feeling intensely in love with one another particularly as children you know not really ever having such strong emotions and devoted emotions before kind of calculating this plan this idea and neither knowing how to put the brakes on it it's not excusing them in any way shape or form but these were not happy children these were not children who'd had an ordinary life an ordinary upbringing and even though that shouldn't then lead to them doing something as reprehensible and as absolutely tragic as they carried out crime-wise, there are definite indicators that I think we should be noticing the problems within these children prior to the actual events that led to the deaths that happened, because you can just hear when you see them interviewed and when they've actually conversed about what was going on. They're not embedded in reality. There's just not that embedding in reality that you'd expect to see. So this was calculated. It was planned. It was incredibly badly thought out in many ways. And it seems to me, like I said, that you have one child that seems to be driving it. You know, you do seem to think Kim's driving it. But then you also note that Actually occurs, she to some degree massively abuses herself and doesn't know how to kind of deal with the certain certainty and situation. We've got Lucas, Lucas, is obviously incredibly in love with her and wants to do anything to impress her. And again, this complete disconnect from what was actually happening and why they were doing it and the reasoning behind it. But the other side of this is abandonment, no matter whether that's for a very short term amount of time or otherwise, can be unbelievably catastrophic. actually, a lot when they're been research in killers, serial killers, actually, as well, where when they look at what's happened in life, there is some pretty obvious fractures, and fractures being around attachment and abandonment and the impact that that has on them. That isn't in any way projecting any negativity towards the parent or any negativity towards adults involved, because nobody knows that they have the capacity of creating a killer, you know, because there are all these other ingredients that go into it. But we have to be able to say, well, is there some distinctions between, you know, Kim Edwards and Mark and, you know, and what we were just talking about with Aaron Campbell? And I think, I think there are differences. Um, and I think on a rehabilitation level, I'd be more likely less concerned on a rehabilitation level about Edwards and Mark than I Campbell, for example, about
3: Campbell. On a sort of professional level, uh, as a psychologist, potentially you'd like to interview these people, wouldn't you? On a level, that part of your job, you'd actually like to find out their psychology talk to oh, them yeah. yourself. I mean... Yes. Part of that when you do these shows, actually, I'd like to sit down with this person, however awful always. they are.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, because nobody's fully a serial killer, nobody's fully a sexual abuser, nobody's fully a murderer, you know, you're, all, you're always shades of different people, you know, within the same person, you know, everybody is nice some of the time, many people are nice most of the time, and I think that's the great equaliser, that even when you sit and work with people who've done really nasty things, there's also likability about them, there's also potential about them,
2: and you almost
1: need to be able to remember the humanity so that you can save in the future others who have maybe similar psyches and similar potential, because, you know, one of the people that i worked with many years ago, um, worked with one of the Bulger Killers, and I remember asking him how he managed that, you know, how do you manage that as a parent, and he just said that there's always something... Really, to like about everybody, and the only way you can ever be helpful to anybody is to like them because often they have such self loathing on a singular level, on a visceral level. And it was really interesting because I often work with people who are the result of crimes, so you know, hearing that one side of it is, is quite challenging. And I think that it'd be the, the opportunity to sit down and interview somebody like Aaron Campbell would be interesting because it's whether my stereotypes and assumptions are completely incorrect, if that makes sense. And I think on a professional level, when you get forensic psychologists who do that work, very often they're surprised because, you know, you can very much like a psychopath, you can very much engage with somebody and connect with them on many levels. And that is the issue about humanity, that unless you have the correct levels of conscience, empathy, compassion, then you can't really understand the pain that you cause others. So therefore one could say, well, is a psychopath somehow, because of their causation, they're not necessarily as guilty as we should think that they are. Of course they are in their crime, but they're almost like a product that there's something that has formed them. And that's a really, really interesting moral question to ask ourselves. And think about the UK, we get a lot of negativity actually within the fact that we kind of believe in rehabilitation and reparation and hope. But I think that's probably a much better system because it kind of suggests that even in the darkest of times and the darkest of actions there's still potential for change and growth and hope and I think that's where a civilised society wins compared to our counterparts in America for example who wouldn't have the same outcomes should Cindy go ahead and do what these killers have done.
2: A huge thank you to Emma Kenny for sharing with us her fascinating insight for this episode of Inside Crime Investigation. You can watch Kids Who Kill, Evil Up Close, Mondays at 9pm on Crime and Investigation. For even more captivating content from our shows, including other podcasts, exclusive videos, interviews and articles, head to crimeinvestigation.co.uk. And don't forget to find us on social media where you can talk anything true crime with us. This episode of Inside Crime and Investigation was hosted by James Hall and Pete Ross, edited by Chloe Frost, and produced by Pete Ross.
0: Hold up.